You can open your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off around verse 32. And as you find your place in the scriptures, we'll ask the Lord's blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we do, as we open the scriptures, we just ask, Father, that your spirit would help us uh, make sense, understand your wonderful, life-changing truth, your goodness, your grace, your peace that passes understanding. May it guard our hearts, and, and may you speak to us in that still, small voice that is so wonderful because it brings blessing and life when we put into practice the truths of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I read this in a little Reader's Digest quip here. Many years ago, a poorly dressed boy uh, trudged several miles through the snowy uh, streets of Chicago in a fierce winter, uh, determined to attend a Bible class that D.L. Moody was teaching, and when the young man arrived, he was asked, why come to a Sunday school that's so far away? Why didn't you go to one of the churches near your home? And this young man said, that's because this is a place where I feel loved. And D.L. Moody used that for the rest of his ministry to uh, really have the church philosophy of ministry really be all about a place of love. And now the early church was very much like that, just overflowing with the supernatural, very unique. When we read about it, we have read about it in Acts chapter 2 that described this incredible way they had compassion and caring for one another. But we're gonna revisit it again as the Holy Spirit prompts Luke to write about it. It's a place really worth any effort that it took to be there with caring and uh, compassion. Picking up at verse 32, you'll see what I'm talking about. Now all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. All right, we're going to pause here, but it's not the end of the story. This is actually belongs to one piece of scripture that goes on into chapter 5 into the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so... The, the first thing that we're going to take a look at here is the evidence of God's presence in a church is love. The evidence for God's presence in a healthy church is this kind of love that you just read about. Now, the purpose of revisiting this kind of paragraph, because this kind of paragraph has already existed, we've read about this, as I said, in Acts chapter 2. But the Holy Spirit wants us to know that everything's okay now because the church has just gone through a tremendous attack and threat. You'll recall that the apostles, their elders, the pastors, 
were arrested and jailed and brought out in front of the Jewish high court, the same court that sentenced Jesus to be crucified. And they were threatened with loss of life to stop talking about Jesus. And so they said with great boldness, no, we can't do that. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do. We're going to obey God. And so uh, now that that threat did not work, uh, in fact, they went back home. They had a little prayer meeting. And the Holy Spirit shook that place like a big earthquake. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God even more boldly. So now, after that scene, we go back to see how the church is doing, and the point of putting it here is to tell you it's flourishing. That number one, there are two reasons we're back visiting this wonderful supernatural love fest, if you will. Uh, Number one, the hostility and the persecution that the church has just gone through only served to strengthen them, only made them more loving toward one another, only made them more united. And so it really is true throughout the ages with mature Christians. When you persecute them and mock them and try to oppose them, the Holy Spirit just increases with courage, devotion, draws us into intimate prayer. And, And it's really, really a good thing. The second reason this paragraph has reappeared of sorts, it's a little different from two, but kind of the same essence, is because it sets us up for the next diabolical attack. You see, uh, having failed in his first attack from the outside, uh, revving up all the malicious threats and what have you, the devil is going to try something new, an attack from within. We can't stop it from the outside, so we're going to have to get somebody inside Move them into a position of prominence, and there we will wreak havoc. And it all happens in the context of generous giving because Ananias and Sapphira are going to see Barnabas' good deed, and that's when they get infected with a deadly virus called envy. And that virus can kill you. And... (laughs) Unfortunately, if you've read ahead, it did. And so uh, we are going to take a look at that now. Well, first of all, of course, we're talking about the evidence of um, evidence that tells us this is a healthy church. It's the love of God. Now, that's the litmus test. First John chapter three and verse 14. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And then again in chapter 4 and verse 21, John speaking again. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So the litmus test is, is that if you have the love of the father, you love his children as well. And so they're doing a good job. And, it, and it's not this what we call sloppy agape kind of love. Right? It's not the kind of love that they sing about in Coke commercials. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, and then they take a hit off of uh, their marijuana, you know. Uh, That's not the kind of love that just as anything goes, man, you're welcome, just come in. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, love, God's love, doesn't delight or embrace wrongdoing. There's a moral component and a truth component to love. 
Same with grace. Oh, oh, grace is wonderful, but it can be perverted. In fact, in the New Testament, it says about grace, uh, there are those who pervert the grace of our Lord and turn it into a license for immorality. Even forgiveness has stipulations. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, or whosoever believes in him should not perish. There's stipulation. And so mercy, forgiveness, grace, love, uh, they had all of this, but it was constrained and defined and kept in boundaries of morality, God's morality, and God's truth as we know the gospel. And so they loved one another. Notice right there it says all the believers were one in heart and one in mind. Now there are 5,000 men so far. That means there's 10,000 people in this early church. And it says all of them really were like one person because of the way they thought, their values, their goals, their missions. Can you imagine that? You know how many different kinds of people we have gathered here in this service? We have people who are young. We have people who are old, like me. We've got people who've gone to college forever. We have people who have not. We have people that make a lot of money and people who are struggling. We have, we have different races here and nationalities. Uh, and yet, there's one thing that pulls us all together, and that's the gospel. It's the touch of God upon our lives. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit came in and gave us new life. We call it being born again. We don't call it that. We call it that because Jesus in John chapter three and verse three called it being born again. And so when it says that they were all with one heart, they all felt impassioned for the cause of Christ, love for God, desire to obey his commands, compassion for the lost and one another. That was the thing. You know, it was kind of like, hey guys, God is sovereign. His word is true. Jesus saves. The world is lost. Let's live for him. Let's spread the good news. Uh, Any questions? You know, that's how it was. And then it says they all were in one mind. They were gathered around the truths of the gospel. And so there wasn't every wind of teaching there. They were safe in the boundaries of the apostles' teaching, constrained by the boundaries, rather, of sound doctrine, which they had in common. And, And then, of course, the unity, which God says, please guard, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, Ephesians 4. It's something to fight for, because we're not naturally... Uh, inclined to come together. We're more inclined to spread apart. Now, this incredible generosity, I mean, it's a, it's a little disconcerting to read about it. Well, there was a season of great need and a season of great giving, but let me talk a, a little bit about that. No one had the attitude that their possessions just belonged to them. They had this intense desire to share the good things God had given them, and in this way, everyone had their needs met. That's an incredible thing. They just had a loose grip on their stuff. When the Holy Spirit comes into a heart, one thing has to happen. People become more important than stuff. He will gravitate us to the value of the human soul 
over the material possessions. That is really what it means to come into Christian maturity. People are more important than stuff. It doesn't mean that we don't need stuff. It just means that we consider people more important. That this love, this, this crazy love, I mean, uh, their thinking was like, hey, maybe God put me in this position not just because I was lucky or I inherited it from my mother or father or I worked really hard. Maybe God put me in this position to have resources so that people could be blessed by it. That's how they thought. They thought, uh, perhaps I can help the cause of Christ. And, and God put that on their hearts. And they loved one another. You know who said, you know, uh, am I my brother's keeper? The first murderer, Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? You know what the answer to that is? Yeah. We are. We're supposed to be looking out for each other. And they did a great job. I mean, anybody, you can see why they were flocking to this church. Christian love was manifested. It was a voluntary sharing. There were no rules. You know, we talked about communism says, what's yours is mine, right? That's not what we're talking about. This is more like we called communism, where I have a loose grip on my stuff. I say, what's mine is yours. You know, and we all have within reason and common sense, we understand that, that's already factored in. But just to be able to have a generous heart in light of what has happened to our hearts. Zacchaeus, remember I brought Zacchaeus up. You know, this, this little extortionist who is a tax collector, and, and he climbs a tree and Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm having dinner at your house. And Zacchaeus invites the Lord in. And his heart is touched, his life is changed, and he stands up at the table and he says, <clears throat> here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've wronged anybody, and everybody went. <laughs> four times recompense, four times as much. And Jesus goes, bingo, salvation. Salvation has come to the house, ladies and gentlemen. Salvation. Why? He realizes... A lifetime of, of sin has been wiped away. I've been accepted by God the Son here. I'm a different man. I'm happy. I, I grazed a bullet, man, an eternal bullet. You imagine, and, and our hearts and our prayers for those who had to go through a plane crash, a jetliner, a 777, big bird, crashed right here in San Francisco. Can you imagine and only two perished out of, what, 300 people or so. And now, listen, when you walk through a plane crash like that, you look at life a little bit different. People are more important. Stuff doesn't matter so much when the plane is on fire and you're looking for an emergency exit. Amen? How much more us? We are the fellowship of the saved we got out way something more serious than a plane crash. Plane crash, boom, done, it's over a few minutes. That's not how hell is described. He rescued us from the coming wrath. He saves us. And from that knowledge of forgiven sins and the unmerited favor of God our Father comes this loose, loose 
this hospitality, this warmth, this, hey, listening to the spirit and just following the will of God and looking out for, for folks. Some years ago, Dr. Carl Menninger, a noted doctor and psychologist, he was seeking the cause of many of his patients' troubles. He had a big clinic, and he was trying to do creative things, and he noticed one thing that they all kind of had was a terrible up, uh, uh, upbringing where they lacked a lot of nurture and care. So he tried this experiment. I read about it. Uh, he said, going above and beyond professional courtesies and kindnesses, we're going to treat all the patients with love. We're going to increase our attention, showed them. We're going to increase our listening. We're going to show more patience and extend more grace. They are going, we are going to be patient-centered to the extreme. Hugs and genuine empathy and sympathy. And at the end of six months, he said, half the patients in the clinic had left. They had already stopped coming because they felt whole. He's the one who wrote, love cures people, both the ones who give it and the ones who receive it. Well, there's a whole lot of healing going on in Calvary Chapel, Jerusalem. Ha, ha, ha. Serious, guys. Hello. Now, the practical manifestation of love, well, 1 John 3.18, dear children, don't love with just words, but love with actions and in truth. Well, they would have said, duh, John, we don't need that exhortation. They didn't need it. They were already doing it by instinct. Of course we take care of one another. We all got saved together. We have God the Father, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We're going to take care of each other. And so now watch this. This is the setup for Ananias and Sapphira's uh, fall. From time to time, large offerings came in for the big needs in the fellowship, and we're told how those offerings were handled. Three times in the text that we're going to finish reading, it says they were laid at the apostles' feet. That's an idiom. They didn't literally lay offerings at the apostles' feet. They gave them freely to the entrusting to the elders, that's what that means. No strings attached, the responsibility fell on the elders and the leaders of the church, the pastors, to, to manage fiscally the business side of the ministry. One writer put it this way, the biblical model for fiscal, fiscal management in the affairs of ministry in both Old Testament and New Testament, never place the burden on the shoulders of the congregation, either for Israel or the church. Rather, such administration was always the expected duty and responsibility of God-called elders, who are overseers or pastors, to faithfully steward as the Holy Spirit led them in accordance to the scriptures. And so people who own properties or houses from time to time as the need, you remember there were Christian refugees here because at the day of Pentecost, Jews from all over the world got saved. They didn't want to go home. There was big needs. There were thousands of people. And so this is kind of a special time of need and a special time of grace of giving. And so not only that, the explosive growth. You know, one sermon, 3,000. Two sermons, another 2,000. That's explosive growth, my friends. And so it takes money to care for them. And so they brought it, they, they gave it 
unto the trusting of the elder, the word elder, episkopos, it means overseer. Peter is an overseer. The word poimen in the Greek is shepherd or pastor. Both of those words are switched around a lot. They mean the same thing, except poimen means pastor, feeder. The over, and the pastor is also an overseer. So the words get swapped around. All right. So now, an awareness of that forgiveness of God really has touched their hearts, and they're looking out for one another. And the other thing that makes you a good giver is they have faith. They're seeing God answer prayers. So in other words, I have courage and faith to be able to give because I know by obeying God's command, it will not put me in harm's way because I have faith in God. Let me say that again. Because I have faith in the faithfulness of God, he said, my God shall supply all your needs, period. And then he says, be generous because God loves a, a, a cheerful giver. So I'm called to be generous, I'm called to give, I'm called to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to contribute to the cause of Christ, right? Because I have faith that I'm obeying what God told me to do, the one who said he will provide for me will make it safe for me to be able to let go and let God. I just thought I'd throw that in there. The let God part (laughs) sounded like a little motto, bumper sticker. All right, so enter this guy, Joseph. All right, now nobody called him that, and he's very important. We're going to hear about him 25 times in the book of Acts and five times in the epistles. He's a major player, and he's a good guy. And you know what? About this Barnabas, they nicknamed him Mr. Encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. Okay, so his name was Joseph, but they said, hey, you know, once you're around this guy, you just call him Barney. Man, you're you're Mr. Encouragement. Why? Every time he's mentioned, he's helping someone. That's a lot of times to be helping somebody. Every time your name appears, you're helping. So Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, we may not all be able to be, measure up to the likes of John and Peter, but all of us can be a Barnabas, filled with the Spirit and always helping. That's what his claim to fame is. We can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, he's from Cyprus. He's a Levite. Now, Jews who were Levites who lived in Israel weren't allowed to have fields. That was a no-no. Now, if you lived in Cyprus, it probably didn't matter because you're not in Israel. I don't know if he was breaking the law before he became a believer or not, but when he became a believer, he's in Jerusalem. His Levite brothers don't own fields, right? So he's got this little thing that's bugging him. You know, I'm a Levite, I'm here in Israel, I'm born again, I got a field. I'm not supposed to have a field. Hey, ah, God, maybe I could get rid of that field and just help your church with that. And so he does it, and the church is blessed. But Ananias and Sapphira were there, and somehow it leaked out, and they caught a whiff of the adoration and the uh, praise, lowercase, for this deed, the respect that it garnered from everybody. And they said, oh, that's what we want. Not to become a person like Barnabas, but to receive the reward that a person like Barnabas gets. Oh no, we don't want to sacrifice and really earn somebody's respect. We're just lusting after the end product. We want the end product without having to pay for it. 
That's what we're going to do. And that's how it, uh, the whole thing started. Just wanting to be seen, wanting to be thought of as more spiritual than they were, more giving, more generous than they actually were. And so we're going to take a look at that now. Uh, they, really, they, they really wanted to impress the church. And they, they ended up impressing the church, but not the way that they probably thought. <laughs> Let's read about it. Then we'll reflect on it. Now, but that word should really be but. It can go now, moreover, or but. It means all three of them. I think the best one is but because there's a reversal. Barnabas did this, but now. A man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 6. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asks her, tell me, is this the price that you and your husband Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I think that's enough for now. So let's, <laughs> I think that's plenty to talk about. Well, new visitors, welcome. And praise the Lord, I hope you needed a word of encouragement this morning, because we're here for you on this, all right? Actually, for me as a pastor, I, I love these passages, because I see the shepherd hand of God protecting his dearly loved children, and so, uh, but, you know, as one commentator wrote, he said this, I found it, I laughed out loud, I really LOL'd right here. I did. Listen, and you'll see why. This is a very important passage, but for some reason, a neglected text. It's quite often passed over in sermon series, and I don't know why. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> Come to our church. You'll never know if you're going to live or die. <laughs> or you could be struck dead. Yeah, that's inviting. Yet it remains an immensely important passage of scripture. Dr. Barnhouse, on the basis of this text, never let his congregation sing the third stanza of the hymn at Calvary. Now I have given Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. 
He used to say, if God acted the same way today as he did in Acts 5, you'd have to have a morgue in the basement (laughs) of every church and a mortician on the pastoral staff. And truth be told, we wouldn't even have a pastoral staff. Well, think about this scene from the devil's point of view. I hate to be the one to ask you to do that. C.S. Lewis wrote a very famous book based on that concept. How does the devil think? Well, here's he's looking in on thousands of happy Christians, all walking together in unity and love and joy and peace. Everybody's needs are met. The place is just one big love fest. There's prayer, there's earthquakes, there's answer to prayers, there's healing. And he's thinking, calls a little meeting. Hello, you guys, see, there's the phone call now. (laughs) I love when it, I love when I get sound effects for free. It's just beautiful. And so he picks up the conference call and, and here you hear this guy saying, hello, demons, take, have you looked in the windows? Do you see that that smile on their faces? There's not one person in need there. The whole world is gonna go there. You know what happened with with, uh, Caiaphas and John of Alexander and all the temple police? Nothing, they got worse. Listen boys, I got a plan. And somebody says, hey listen boss, I saw the way Ananias and Sapphira looked at Barnabas when he gave the offering. I know I could work some magic there. Oh, I saw it in their eyes. They're perfect. We'll get in through them. We'll get into a position of prominence. And once we're in, we get on the board. We get on the platform. And then, boss, we could do our damage. Oh, it's not so much about the little lie getting in the door. It's what we potentially can do once we get in and we're well-received. So let's try a different strategy. Let's conquer and divide from within. But God's on to him. Now, whether they're saved or not, who knows? I mean, the enemy will, will use a sex-crazed believer like Samson or he'll use an unbelieving traitor like Judas. He's really an equal opportunity possessor, (laughs) you know. (laughs) He'll use a believer if they're dumb enough to open the door and give him a foothold, or he'll just use an unbeliever with or without their knowledge that they're being used. The important thing is is that he can wreak havoc. Uh, Ephesians 20, Paul the apostle talking to elders on a beach as he's leaving, And he says to them, keep watch over yourselves and the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from among your own number. They will arise and distort the truth. So that's a big thing. It's not so much what they're doing over there. It's from within that there's always usually a problem like that. Uh, And so the whole thing really gets started with the little sin called envy. George MacDonald, half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look like a certain person instead of trying to be a certain kind of person. Job chapter 5 and verse 2, resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. Envy is so 
easy to have. We are envious and don't even know we're envious. It slips in so easily. Um, they want the same recognition and honor that Barnabas got. And as I said, they don't want the sacrifice like Barnabas had to do to receive that. Uh, one quote about this maybe help kind of answer the question, was God like overreacting? Well, here's the answer. This isn't about God's overreaction or a message that we all better have perfect motives or watch out for lightning. This is about how vulnerable the early church was, how important it is uh, not to be corrupted and to stay on track for the early church. If this church fails, there wasn't one across town to carry on the gospel. This was the root of the church that was the hope of the whole earth, and Ananias and Sapphira picked the wrong time and place to mess around with God. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament wants us to know he's holy, he hates hypocrisy, and sin kills, and he's very protective of the, his blood-bought children. And so what happened here? Verses 1 and 2, Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of property. No problem. They keep back part of it. No problem. They bring the rest and lay it at the apostles' feet. Still no problem. There's no problem with any of this. So far, so good. But God, who knows the secrets of the heart, that is Psalm 44 and verse 21, he has that x-ray vision and he knows what they're up to. So imagine the conversation went something like this. Hey, honey, to the wife. Honey, uh, which gets us more recognition if we tell the truth, hey, we sold the ranch and we gave a portion to the church, or we sold the ranch and we gave all the proceeds to the church, and she says, duh, and they go with the latter rather than the former. So they agreed to lie, either verbally or outright. So it went something like this, and we sold our field for uh, 50,000 bucks, here you go. Or they implied it, the lie, by silence, leaving out information. We sold a piece of property and here's the money. Just finish the sentence. See, you're, you're lying as uh, you to imply by leaving out information to deceive somebody to think more positively of you than they ought is just as much of a lie as if you said it. In other words, you could just mislead somebody without telling all the truth. So instead of saying, here's the money left over from what we felt we couldn't give, that was just beyond them. And so, by the way, um, in short, they just wanted everybody to think that they were donating the full price of the field. Uh, they wanted to be seen more generous than they were. So um, I like what one writer said. He said, there's a difference between a normal desire to be generally well thought of and that wicked thirst for recognition driven by love of self and pride. That's what turned Lucifer into the devil. Me, me, me. Look at me. Praise me. It's all about me. The unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. Romans 12 verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly of yourself than you should, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. There's one word that if you get it, you will be blessed. You will be kept from many dangers in this life. I guarantee one word will bring you spiritual blessing. Just one word, humility. The Greek word means low to the ground. Stay humble. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, said Jesus. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this is something that Ananias and Sapphira didn't get. They wanted attention. They wanted exaltation. And the Lord is now going to take them down in a very serious way. Now, the mask has to come off. So we're going to see that happen. And it's ripped off in a rather abrupt and unpleasant way. Peter starts talking. And now I can imagine Ananias just, you know, hands him the check or whatever. And he's waiting. You know, he's waiting for a response. And Peter's face is not lighting up. Peter's face kind of trying to figure out what the Lord is saying, you know. So he's kind of like, you know. And, and Ananias is in that pause. The blood pressure is going up. The heart is pounding. He's starting to sweat. He's starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable. I just handed you a check for 50 grand, you know. There, <laughs> Hello? And there's no response. But out of his mouth comes this rebuke, Ananias. How could you? How could you think you could fool God, that you could lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, God has given what is called a word of knowledge. It's a spiritual gift from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It, a word of knowledge or, or dis, discerning of spirits is, is when you get some information, the only way you could have known it is through revelation from God. And that's what Peter just gets the whole picture. And listen to this. One writer, John Phillips, put it this way. Oh, yes, but the Holy Spirit knew about the whole trick. He had been present in their home. He heard their conversation. He knew the market price of that property. He knew all about their conspiracy. He was there when the land was put up for sale. There when the bargain was struck. He was there when the deed of the sale was signed. He knew how much was paid for the property, and he was present when the bank deposit was made. He knew how much the conniving couple had decided to give and how much was still in the bank. He was present with, when Ananias kissed his wife goodbye that morning. He saw the knowing look that passed between them. He walked beside Ananias all the way to the church, prodding with his conscience, speaking to his heart, troubling his soul. He stood sadly and silently by as the deception was consummated and Ananias gave the gift. Then the spirit flashed the whole lying picture into uh, Peter's unsuspecting mind and gave him the gift of discernment and directed him what to do. I think that Peter is just as surprised as Ananias is. And we, we learn a few things by Peter's rebuke to Ananias. Let's look at that, and then we'll see his wife come in. The first one, it was sinister. Perhaps that explains why God acted the way he did. The devil's behind this. These two unfortunate souls got caught in the crossfire. This is about the work of God to save mankind, and the devil who wants to damn men forever. That's what happened. 
It was sinister. So number one, it was sinister. Here's what he says in verse three. Why did you let the enemy fill you with a desire to lie to God? Why did you listen? Why didn't you resist? Why did you permit access to your heart? That question keeps coming. Why? Why did you do this? Because you could have resisted. The Bible says, James chapter four, verse four, submit yourself to God, come under God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. James chapter four, verse four. Listen, you can't control your feelings. They just come and go at will. Whoever asks for a feeling, they just come up. <laughs> oh, I'm having a feeling, you know? It happens. I don't ask for them, they just come. Same with thoughts. But we are to take our thoughts and our feelings captive and make them obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. That's our job. And like I say many times, you know you can't stop the bird from flying over. It just, boom, boom, boom. oh, wouldn't that be nice to be praised like that? Boom, boom, boom. You know, oh, it's nice for people to think highly of you and think that you're so spiritual. Boom, boom. Yeah. Uh, hey, why don't we, you know, do this little thing? Nest, the nest starts. That's when you go, are you kidding me? God, can you believe I just thought that? I just confessed that. Holy Spirit, just help me to repent of that. Oh, that's evil and that kind of thing. And you go to somebody and you say, can you, hey, help me with this. I'm really struggling, that kind of thing. They didn't do that. Number two, private ownership is endorsed by the Old Testament and the New. A, the property was yours before you sold it, right? Right. You sold it, you got some money, you could have done anything you wanted with that money, right? Right. You could have bought a sailboat and sailed all around that beautiful island of Cyprus, couldn't you? God would be happy. The church wouldn't care. We could have gone out on a home fellowship group there on the boat, you know? <laughs> or probably not. <laughs> But it just made no, no, it makes no sense. Uh, thou shalt not steal. What does that say about private ownership? It means God uh, has endorsed that we have stuff that doesn't belong to other people. And when they take it, it's called theft because he gives us the right to own things. So number two was, it was unnecessary. Number three, the Lord is present. Now, <laughs> you think, duh, you're at church. Yeah, oh, sometimes we forget. We go to church, we sing the songs, really. If we were to have a readout, God forbid, of all the thoughts that went through your head <laughs> from the start of when you walked through the doors until now, and we could just print it out, I'm going to press print, all right? And it's going to send to the printer that I have right up here, underneath here. <laughs> Let me just call you up here. <laughs> I'm just going to read just line for line, all right? This, is what, this happened during the prayer. Seriously? How long is that guy going to go on? <laughs> this happened during the sermon, I should say. <laughs> no, during the songs, there's a printout because you had thoughts. What Ananias and Sapphira needed to learn is that the Lord is present in the congregation. He's here right now. He observes. It's like, just remember this. It's like having the Lord put his arm around you and walk around the church. So when you're singing, you're singing to him. He wants to enjoy that. He's watching you. 
He's knowing what's happening. Uh, when you go back to the offering boxes, he's there with you. And if you can't be a cheerful giver, he's like, you know, don't bother. He's with us in our conversations and how we think about people all around us. He's there, right there. And they forgot. That's why they say, how could you do this? He's right there. Do you think that he wasn't looking? He made the eyeball. He can see. <laughs> he who made the eyeball can see, honestly. And by the way, I stole that from the Psalms, in case you think that was a clever remark on my own, which I don't have many, but anyway. Number four, this was more serious than anybody really imagined. So it says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Now, he dies, and people say, well, did he have a heart attack? Well, maybe. I mean, he was pretty surprised. Um, But the word for how he died is a term for judgment and execution. So God was involved. All right, so, so he dies there. Now, we may be under grace in the New Testament, but it doesn't mean anything goes, right? So um, we're under New Testament grace, but God is still holy, sin is still deadly, and God allows his children to be chastised when we sin. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just to show you that, that there is a sin that leads to death for believers. 1 Corinthians 11 Some believers were getting drunk at the home fellowship communion table on the communion wine and carousing with the women, sexual immorality. Getting drunk at the communion table and being sexually immoral. Paul says, have any of you noticed that you're getting sick and dying, those who are doing that? He said, if we judge ourselves, the Lord won't judge us. I mean, we all have sin. We all get tempted. We all do wrong things. But he says, if we come before God and judge ourselves and confess our sins and turn from them, then God will not judge us. But you, you, there is a case to be made in the scriptures about something called a sin that leads to death. Listen, just listen. This is Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for a man will reap what he sows. If he sows to the sinful nature, from that nature he shall reap destruction. That's New Testament. How about Romans chapter 8? Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if you, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Let me just say this. This is New Testament. If you live by its dictates, you will die. It's possible. I mean, you don't usually fall over and die, but there's a death and emptiness, a barrenness, no blessing. Uh, That's what the Bible is saying. And so the Lord is going to use this as an illustration to save that little church and to cleanse it. And now they all have this fear of the Lord. The Bible says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that there's riches and honor and wealth, that it keeps us from sinning and taking wrong paths. So the Lord let Ananias and Sapphira, because messing with God at the wrong time in the wrong place, uh, come to pass as an example to help 
everybody who's ever read that passage to see how important these things are. So verse six, the husband's dead and buried. Uh, The young buff guys are always used for things like this. You know, call them in, the guys with the guns, you know, uh, pick up the dead bodies and take them out, uh, stuff like that. Not in our church, of course, but (laughs) Sapphira doesn't even know where has she been for three hours, shopping? And as she's shopping in the mall, she's thinking, how great is this? Seriously, I can pick out a new purse and I'm well esteemed at church. I get the best of both worlds. This is wonderful. I got a little extra cash. I got a little extra adoration. Oy, this is wonderful. (laughs) She's Jewish. She says, oy. (laughs) You got a problem with oy, vey? About three hours later, in comes his wife, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, one more chance. The Holy Spirit's so gracious. All through the shopping trip, he's like, really, Sapphira? Seriously? Why didn't you stop him? What do you think a helpmate is for? A helpmate, by the way, in the Hebrew, is the word helper, which is the same exact word used of the Holy Spirit as our helper, as God as our helper. So don't think of that some denigrated meaning of the word helpmate. Oh, the Holy Spirit was all over her for three hours, troubling her, talking to her. Please, and then I'm going to give you one last chance. Peter says, tell me, long pause. Was that the, really the price? The offering, the check, that's exactly what they handed you, you handed us? Yes, it is. Wow. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of doing such a thing, conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband, actually, they're right here, and they're going to do the same for you. Uh, Instantly, she fell to the floor and died, and when the young men came in, they saw she was dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Three hours of the conscience on overload. But you know what? After a while, you know, one time I had in my car a seatbelt alarm that was stuck. And even though it was fastened, it was still dinging. You know what? After a little while, I didn't hear the dinging anymore. I seriously, and somebody else, you know, got in the car. It was driving them crazy. I'm like, what? What? And uh, because I just let it go on and on, and I became accustomed to it. That's what happened to her. That's what happened to him. Big question asked of her again, why? Seriously, why would you test God? I mean, to test God, Ananias and Sapphira style, is to say, I know this path is wrong. And the Bible says it's sin. But I'm going to embrace it and see if I get a little pushback. That's what they did. That's how you test the Lord. I know this is wrong, but let's see. You know, if he's there, he's there. If he's not, he's not. If I get a pushback, well, he, they got a pushback. They uh, got a big pushback, and it was too late to do anything about it. And, and can I say this? Sometimes it is too late to do something about it. Just one time, one time, you lose your marriage. Just one, it was just once. Done just once, and, and you fill in the blank what that just once is, because I've heard a lot of just once categories. Just once, lose the career, 
can't fix it, gone. Just once, a life ruined by your thoughtless sinning. So this just once thing was just a little one. Ananias and Sapphira just, boom, sorry. Sometimes that happens. Usually it doesn't go down that way. And all God's people said, amen and praise the Lord for that, right? So why? And uh, also, husbands and wives, like I kind of said, Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other one up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. This passage gets used a lot at weddings. And here's the idea that failed with Ananias and Sapphira. If one is having a compromised moment, the other one can take the hand and say, honey, you know, somebody's blowing off steam at the dinner table. I can't believe that. And the other one says, honey, be patient in all things. Give thanks. Hey, let's, let's, let's talk about this later. Let's read a verse from the Bible. Somebody says something that's off. The husband corrects gently. Or the wife is able to say, are you kidding me? Ananias, please stop that. They failed each other. When you're both down, that's a disaster. One of you, with gentleness and respect and care, stands strong. And man, it's you. You're, that's your job. And the wife is a helper. When he's down, you're up. And vice versa. Amen. If only, if only Ananias and Sapphira, if only Sapphira just said, honey, I love you. I'm submitted to you. But my submission stops with sin. We wouldn't be reading this chapter. So we look to God for his strength. Listen, I've got some reflections. Then we're going to take communion together. The evidence of a healthy church is extreme love. A spirit-filled heart is a generous one. A heart that has the father loves the children. And secondly, the evidence of a healthy church is extreme strivings in moral purity and holiness. Jesus is present and observing our hearts in worship. No one who ever tests the Lord prospers. And though we live under grace, God is still holy. Sin is still deadly. And let us never use God's grace as an excuse to live in an unholy way. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing for our sins, that when you bring an awareness of them, we're able to come to the table and remember that your body was broken and your blood was shed for things like this, for envy, for hypocrisy, for things we all struggle with every day. As we confess them, we're covered, we're atoned for, we're forgiven. So thank you, Father, for, uh, uh, for the ability to end a, a, a chapter lesson, a sermon message with communion. We confess all the ways that we are similar to Ananias and Sapphira, the way we have uh, let our spouses or friends down by not helping them walk the straight and narrow path, the ways we have envied, the ways that we have um, lied and been hypocritical and making people think we pray more than we do, or we love Jesus more than we do, or we read our Bibles more than we do. Forgive us for that, Lord. It's just so 
easy to get entangled with all of this stuff. Thank you that your blood is enough to cleanse us, and we humbly bow before you now. In Jesus' name, amen.